The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. You can help support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tier. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 or above level for the month of June. Ira Bell, Jem McKay, Dan Wagner, Kirsten Cardinal, Jed Winters, and Christopher Valenz. Good afternoon, or good morning, or good night, depending on when you're listening to this episode of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. My name is Neil, and I will be joined shortly by my co-host Mike Lane, as always. Now today we're going to be covering all of the puzzle games on the Nintendo GameCube, and uh, we found f- eight in the library total. I've seen some stories that there may be 10 or 11, but I think that those are probably Japanese or European exclusive games, so we did not get those over here in North America. So I will read the back of the cases now of the eight puzzle games that we could find today, and then we will get started with the regular episode. So without further ado, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Tetris Worlds is everything you love about Tetris and more with beautiful 3D graphics and six variations of Tetris gameplay. Hours will seem like minutes as you try to surpass your or your friend's best score. Then we had Bomberman Generation. Bomberman makes his explosive debut on Nintendo GameCube. Mujo and his gangs are up to their old tricks. This time they're after the bomb elements, powerful crystals that will give them the means to rule the universe. Fear not, Bomberman is on the case. Then we had Bomberman Jetters. The Heejee Heejee Bandits are going to crash their artificial comet, Darkstar, into planet Bomber. As Bomberman, you must destroy the four engines that propel Darkstar before it is too late. All new Chera Bombs. All new bombs. Same great Bomberman action. Next up, we had ZooCube. Go Ape. Put your puzzle-solving skills to work. Simple to learn, tricky to master. ZooCube offers addictive, engaging, heart-racing 3D puzzle action. Engage in head-to-head multiplayer action with your friends. Match animal pairs on all six sides of the Zoo Cube to free the animals. 12 game modes, 7 unique environments, with added power-ups and bonuses. Eggmania Extreme Madness Build a high tower from falling pieces, but if you leave too many gaps in your tower wall, rising water will destroy your progress. Puzzle pieces of all shapes and sizes fall from the sky. Jump up and catch the shape you need. Stack the puzzle piece without leaving gaps. To win, you'll need to reach the top before your opponent does. Then we had Super Bubble Pop. Get your groove on. Dance to the beat of crazy music and play 150 levels of bubble popping action in this 3D puzzle game. Make your move and work quickly to take out the bubbles before they take you out. With rocking soundtracks and fast-paced gameplay, Super Bubble Pop will keep you grooving to the beat for hours. Then we have Super Bust-A-Move. Mix it up. Bust it down. Check it! Everybody's favorite bubble bust and puzzle game is in the house for the Nintendo GameCube. Launch your bubbles and pop as many as you can before they reach the deadline. Score high by matching three bubbles or more to trigger a chain reaction. Classic bust-a-move fun. Kick it old school with traditional single-player puzzle mode or battle head-to-head with your best friend or your Nintendo GameCube. All your funky friends. Play with Miss T, Mog, Catch, and the rest of the original cast. Fat graphics. All new animations and special effects are ready to rock your Nintendo GameCube. And last but not least, we have Poyo Pop Fever. Get a taste of this addictive, endless fun. Sonic Team revamps Sega's signature brain teaser with wacky new puzzle pieces and a combo-crazy fever mode. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to my back of the case here for episode 52 of the GameCube was Cool podcast. Now I'm going to pass the microphone over to, in this case, past Mike and Neil. So boys, let's hear the episode. 
the GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. got my notepad already here. Mike, I got to ask you, when you test a pen or a marker, do you have a specific shape that you always do? Or is it just like random every time? Because every time I test a pen or a marker, it's always a circle until 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 it works. Like on my hand, when I was at work, it would, I'd always have circles on my hands because I'd be testing pens all day. That's interesting. That's a good question. I think for me, I usually just do scribbles or I'll do like uh, my initials. Hmm. Oh, okay. That's interesting. just something that is like, you know, I'm not even thinking about. Yeah, some people like they just do like a kind of a scratch or like, a, you know, like a side to side kind of ferociously yeah. like they're a psychopath. Like there's that <laughs> technique as well, which is good. There's the zigzag, which I was I was a member of the zigzag club mm. for quite a while. But now I just do circles until it works. And if it doesn't work, I obviously throw it away. I was very good at drawing tornadoes in grade school. I don't know if you ever did that in your notebooks. That's what I did. You know what? I still do a lot of doodles and stuff in, in notebooks during meetings. So uh, that's something that has never left me <laughs> since no. uh, elementary school. Really good at drawing those uh, those S's, of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. I love those. <laughs> Millennials will know what we're talking about with that uh, classic, classic S, which was that on everybody's notebook. notebook. S. Yes, of course. <laughs> Mike, Irabel from Patreon writes in today. And uh, Irabel would like to say, Linkin Park, are you a fan? If not, why? If so, what is your favorite album of theirs? Your favorite song? How hard did it hit you when Chester died? And uh, do you have any stories related to Linkin Park you can share? Uh, so this is, of course, our Patreon-submitted topic. Folks, if you're a $5 or above Patreon, you can uh, you can submit an opening topic for the show. So today's topic is Linkin Park. So, Mike, do you have any Linkin Park stories? Uh, let's start with the favorite album. What's your favorite Linkin Park album? Do you have one? Yeah, for me, it's Meteora. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that's it's a it's a tough it's between Meteor and Hybrid Theory obviously sure. I, I I can't see anyone picking anything other than those two, um, uh, but Meteor is what I I guess I really got into you know we were I was about ten years old when that came out so Hybrid right. Theory was a little I guess I was too young for it when it actually came out I think in two thousand. So a mm-hmm. uh, big fan of Meteora, Hybrid Theory would be number two, Hunting Party number three, which is their 20 yes. 20, 2014. 2014. Okay. Yes. Um, that is actually a really good album uh, yeah. and no one talks about it. And then uh, honestly, after that, like Minutes to Midnight is what, that, that was what came after Meteora. And I remember everyone was really mad. <laughs> oh, really? I don't yeah. remember that. What, because they, they went a little bit more like mainstream or like less? Yeah. Selling Out, I think, was the mm. kind of what people... I know it got quite mixed reviews when it came out because off the backs of or off the heels of Meteora, which was huge. Uh, mm-hmm. I swear everyone owned Meteora. Like yeah. that album was everywhere. Yes. I remember specifically my cousin who does not really, one of my cousins who doesn't listen. I don't really see him as listening to music ever. I just, that's not what I associate him with. Right. Um, I remember going, like we were hanging out in his bedroom with his Lego Star Wars and such. <laughs> and I remember seeing a Meteora like CD open up there. I was like, oh wow, like, I listened to Linkin Park. I listened to Meteora. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that like, was, everyone must have this then. <laughs> that, that was so synonymous with that early 2000s time. Like we talk yeah. about all the time with, you know, uh, Papa Roach or Limp Biscuit or any of those guys like Linkin Park was so heavily in that and they were mainstream like they were kind of like a rap rock uh 
punk rock band, I guess you'd call them. I don't really know what to call them. I guess rap rock is the closest thing. Yeah, could... some people will call them new metal, but new metal, like, mm-hmm. I mean, most new metal is really bad. Uh, and yeah. I'm sorry, that's just, that's not even subjective in my opinion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that just, there's a lot of really terrible new metal stuff that came out of that era. And so I'm sure Linkin Park would not want to be you know, kind of associated with that name, but no. um, they were, they were really good at kind of keeping their fans, keeping that mm-hmm. genre that people love that rap rock style, I guess that mm-hmm. they kind of started out with when they were zero back in yes. the day. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, they started with zero as their band name in 1996. Yeah. Uh, and then Chester Bennington, of course, joined the band in 1999, which is way later than I thought he did, but that's when they changed the name of their band to hybrid theory. Yeah. And they had to change the band name again because there was another band at the time named Hybrid. And to to avoid confusion, they had a few other names that they were considering, which was Plear and Platinum Lotus Foundation. Uh, bef- before they actually decided on Lincoln Park, and I well, just yours mind- sounds like the most new metal two thousand. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm so glad that they stuck with Lincoln Park. Uh, yeah. I, I'm with you. I'm in the Meteora fan group, and as well, uh, Hybrid Theory would be my number two, followed by Hunting Party, followed by Minutes to Midnight, followed by everything else. I'm not really. They lost me with a thousand suns. Yeah, and then Living Things, I was not a fan of either. And then their latest album, One More Light. I again, I know it's sad that it came out right around when Chester died, but I was still not a fan of that album. They have way fewer albums than I thought they did, because yeah. every every couple of like, if you go to their Spotify page, there are so many remakes and re reimaginations of like certain albums. Like they they just remix songs, so it looks like that they come out with a new album all the time. But it's usually just Hybrid Theory redone. <laughs> yeah cuz uh the, they had a 4 year break I think between Hybrid yes. Theory or between yeah between Hybrid Theory and uh, Minutes to Midnight and mm-hmm. that's why I think people were like upset about Minutes to Midnight cuz they wanted something else after those 4 years I don't uh, know who knows I guess so they they went on a like a bunch of hiatuses really like between yeah. 2000 and 2003 and then 03 to 07 and then there was the biggest hiatus I guess was is we're, we're in it right now obviously but that's because Chester passed away uh, but before we get to that, Mike, do you have a favorite Linkin Park song? Uh, I'm a casual, so I got to say "Numb" because mm. I "Numb" just is so associated with so much of my childhood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess I just uh, obviously they have other great tracks, but I mm-hmm. "Numb" is is what I always think of when I think of Linkin Park. So it, it's always between "Numb" and "In the End." That's like everybody's yeah uh, everybody's see, song. In the end, I feel like I can't. I shouldn't say I can't listen to "In the End" anymore, but I just I don't have the same feeling. Uh, when I listen to In the End that I do when I every time I listen to Numb I'm like yes like 2003 let's go (laughs) (laughs) it's it's such a great album from front to back and my favorite song by them is actually Breaking the Habit off of Meteora yeah that's a good that's a great that's a great track that's actually the first song I heard by them one of our friends at the time said oh you got to check out this band Linkin Park and this is a pretty cool song and my brother he actually had the album so I went home and listened to that and uh, there it is it's a good song See, if your brother has has the album, that's another reason why everyone has this album. <laughs> it's true. Everybody somehow had. I don't know where he got it from, but right, uh, we, they just showed up. It was like U 2s um, uh, when they <laughs> when their album showed up on everyone's iPods. That's that's how it worked here. Exactly, exactly. And Chester Bennington, of course, is one of the most iconic singers or screamers of of our generation i know that like a lot of people don't necessarily think of of uh lincoln park but they do have such an iconic sound with this style of music and it it, i was really sad actually when chester bennington died in 2017 uh he died tragically like i was at work and everyone was everybody like our age was really affected by that because everybody has like a lincoln park story or a connection to the band in some way 
and uh, he, he unfortunately committed suicide, which was sad. Um, and the band really hasn't been the same since. Like, they've put out singles here or there. Um, I think they're trying to write new music now, but it's going to be very different without him there. Yeah, and that that was that really hit. I, I was surprised how hard that hit me too. I remember when I saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in I was living in London, Ontario at the time, and I remember seeing that. I was like, wow. And friend of the show Harrison, uh, he showed it to me, mm-hmm. and I I was like, whoa, that's I haven't really thought about. I mean, I kind of thought about them when the new album came out, but I right. I hadn't listened to it or anything. Uh, but that was that was a huge shock to to me and really really sad. Yeah, I was really sad by it as well. And this the the main single off that album, uh, "One More Light." It's actually a pretty decent song. It's not like a traditional Linkin Park song, but yeah, it, it's again I don't really care too much for that album, unfortunately. But I was listening to Linkin Park a lot this week just to prepare for this episode and after we got that question <laughs> because I do have such a heavy tie to it and for nostalgic reasons and mm-hmm. uh, it's tied to video games and uh, you know just driving around in the car because when we only had CD Walkmans that's all I had for like drives to hockey games so in my in my Walkman I believe I had Queen's Greatest Hits yep me too I had some 41's Chuck sweet I had uh, Green Day's American Idiot. Mm-hmm. I had a Weird Al's poodle hat. Ooh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I had Linkin Park's Meteora. Nice. Okay. I'm trying to think what I would bring on car rides. Mine was definitely Meteora, American Idiot, probably Nimrod as well by Green Day. I had both of those albums. Uh, what else? What else? What else? I can't think of any. Queen's Greatest Hits as well, for sure. Anyway, thank you so much, Ira Bell, for writing in on Patreon. Uh, we, we love to talk about music whenever we can. Mm-hmm. And uh, Linkin Park is one of those bands that neither of us ever got to see, but... Uh, actually, if I could go back in time, I'd love to see Linkin Park, like circa yeah, that would 2000. Be a sweet show. The Meteora Tour. The, oh man, that would have been oh. incredible. Everyone has the albums. They, they get it on their <laughs> at the door. Everyone, they're just handing them out. They're throwing them at people. <laughs> they aren't even going to the show. Mike, we got some uh, Nintendo news. Some recent Nintendo news this week. Nintendo put out their financial report. Uh, we got to get an update on how many Switches have sold. Do you have some numbers there for us? Yes, I do. 85 million Switches wow. have been sold now. That's uh, as of March 31st, 2021. So pretty crazy. Obviously, not as massive as a jump as it usually is in the Q4 season. This is Q1, which is Q1 is usually the lowest sure. uh, selling quarter. But yeah, 85 million. I'm thinking it definitely will hit that 101 for the, the Wii mm-hmm. as for Nintendo's highest selling home console. And in terms of the games, we talked about GameCube and how Melee sold 7 million, I think, mm-hmm. uh, as the most on the GameCube. Well, yep. <laughs> we now have 10 games that have sold over 7 million, yep. uh, starting with Mario Kart 8 at 35 million, um, Animal Crossing right behind it at 32, mm-hmm. Smash Bros. at tw- uh, 24, uh, Breath of the Wild, and Sword and Shield, and Odyssey all around 22-21, uh, kind of all clumped there. Uh, then we got Mario Party at 15, uh, Pokemon Let's Go, uh, both those games at 13 million, Splatoon uh, 2 at 12 million, and then New Super Mario Bros. U uh, rounds it out with 10 million. So we have 10, 10 million sellers on the Switch, which is just incredible. That is wild. And the Switch being at 85 million units, that puts it right between the NES at 62 million and the Wii, like you said, at 101. 
So I think it's on track to beating the Wii, which is just mind-blowing to me. And I did if not... we do get that N- N- Nintendo Switch Pro mm-hmm. announcement, oh, yeah. you know, then then it's uh, then it's over. <laughs> it, it's definitely, yeah, that's definitely the nail in the coffin for the Wii sales, which is very impressive for the Switch. I honestly did not think when it came out in 2017, I remember saying at the time, it's not going to beat the Wii, but slowly but surely it has, and its games are selling like crazy. It, it's just Like wild. Gangbusters? Like Gangbusters, Mike, exactly <laughs> like Gangbusters. And just after the Wii U, where the highest selling Wii U game, to put it into perspective, was Mario Kart 8 with 8. Four five million units, so about eight and a wow. half million. Uh, so the number one selling Wii U game was less than the tenth best selling Switch game, <laughs> being New Super Mario Bros. U. Now I still have I still have issues that that's the highest selling, <laughs> oh, the number ten selling uh, Switch game right now. I really want to know, Mike, if you could predict now, what game do you think will be the game that knocks that the Super Mario Bros. U off the list? Now to, to this year we've had Pokemon Snap come out. We still have Mario Golf, Splatoon three, Skyward Sword. But what game do you think will be the next one to be on the top ten list? Three uh, D All Stars might hit ten million. Uh, oh, true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Before before it's the years out. But um, did they print ten million copies of it? <laughs> that's a good question. Because <laughs> I don't think Nintendo counts digital sales in this. I oh, can't. Oh, that's I, right. They yeah yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, we'll have to go get back to that but um that's that's an option uh but i mean any of those other games if mario kart 9 came out obviously it would mm-hmm. sure it would beat it as well but i don't think it's gonna be snap i don't think snap no? it's 10 million snap has already sold 7 million copies since it came out so really? yeah oh, i didn't know that yeah that, that, that's why i was gonna say like snap 2 is my answer okay, it's already it's, <laughs> it's already outsold the first one four times over so snap <laughs> one on the n64 sold i guess around less than 2 million yeah, uh, and Snap Two has already sold seven million copies around the world. So I, my answer is Pokemon Snap Two will take then over I Super Mario Bros. You. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did some research ahead of time, and I was like, yeah, this one's probably got a decent chance at that. Very cool. So I think it is time to talk about some mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into the show, you can do so on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or Patreon. We will read your comments on the show. Also, if you leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcast, wherever you listen to us, we'd be happy to hear what you think of the show, both good and bad. Mike, who's writing in today? Well, we have a couple of reviews to talk about today. The first one is from JKJK888 via Apple Podcasts. That sounds Uh, like a bot, but okay. (laughs) All the way in Great Britain. Uh, and they say, when I was younger, uh, I was obsessed with video games. Now, with two children and working long hours, I never have time to play. You guys take me back to a time when all I did was play video games. You guys come across really well and very natural. Please read this out on the show. And we did. There it is. <laughs> wow. Cool. Thank you so much for the positive review. We're glad to uh, give you a little bit of a video game experience while you work your your crazy job and your and your family life. I mean, we, we both have, we don't have families yet, but we do have jobs and we know how difficult it is to find time to game every so often. So we're happy to, uh, to bring a bit of, bring a bit of enjoyment to your week. That was Jake, JK, JK 88. JK 888 So they were born in 1888. That's crazy. <laughs> That's right. You know, it's really good to see that we're getting all the demographics for this show. Someone who actually wrote in with a negative review oh, here uh, on Podbean. So, by the way, we are we do produce this show through Podbean, and you can, if you have a Podbean account or if you listen to us on Podbean, please feel free to like, comment, uh, say whatever you want on some of our shows. Uh, just like. FKI, I don't think that's 
their real name. I think it's just an auto-generated mm-hmm. uh, with like a million numbers after their name. Uh, they said in response to the Zelda Collections episode where we had uh, our good friend Seapox mm, okay. uh, talking about these games, uh, they said couldn't take all the whining about the original Zelda oh. and Zelda 2. Both still great games. Beat them both as an 11-year-old and a 12-year-old. Man up, dudes. You see, I need to know how old this person was, or what year were they 11 and 12? Because was were they 11 and 12 in 1986, 87, when those games came out? Or were they 11 or 12, like, in 2010? Because if that's all you had at the time, like, if that was Zelda, that was the only Zelda game that was out, yes, it was a fantastic game in the 80s. We're not mm-hmm. arguing that. We've done better since then. <laughs> <laughs> and and like, like Cam said on the show, it, it's hard. Like, mm-hmm. play it right now without a guide for the first time and tell me that you're you know you're having fun it's 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 a tough experience and yeah. uh, you know we we just yeah like you said you know we've we've surpassed that in mm-hmm. in our opinion with things like breath of the wild which really you know if you've never played a zelda game you play that and you go to play anything else you're like what am i doing mm-hmm. exactly it it doesn't age video games are just different now like it's not that it doesn't age well because it still does play very well we're getting back onto the zelda topic now but it does still play very well it's just the way that the game tells the story and the way that you progress is not the way people play video games anymore and i think that if you're a kid or a teenager or an adult now playing video games and you've grown up playing whatever we've had available that was on gamecube or even now people playing video games grew up with wii and and 360 and ps3 if you go back to games that like Zelda that came out in 85, it's just way different than open world games are now. So that's kind of what we were getting at. We're not disputing mm-hmm. that it was a great game in the 80s. It's just that it doesn't hold up the way that other games from the NES generation, we love a lot of games on NES. Zelda is just not one of those games, unfortunately, as much as we do love the Legend of Zelda franchise. That's true. And I do have one more thing to bring up. And this is from a user who uh, actually found us through an Instagram post long ago. Uh, from Michael Gorskak, I'm probably saying that wrong, uh, because I'm also terrible with names. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, they had they posted this very very strange GameCube station rack, uh, which is an obscure Japanese only item. Uh, it's kind of feature space for the console itself, alongside games, controllers, accessories. It's very very cool, very <laughs> interesting. Um, it's hard to describe. Might actually post this, post this on our story. Sure. But uh, we said many weeks ago that we will bring this up on our next episode, and that was 22 weeks ago. Also, <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is our next episode. This is when we're bringing it up. So uh, thank you, Michael, for for finding us that way and and listening to the show when you have. Uh, we really appreciate it and love love this station rack. I think it's so weird and cool and interesting and that that came out like in the 2000s with the gamecube or is that a fairly new development no within the game with the gamecube i believe mm-hmm. in japan wow that's really cool i missed that that i don't think they make those anymore but like the whole storage rack thing for games yeah that was the thing for a while now everyone has like actual bookcases and like lights for their their video game collection like they they display them like they're a museum but at the like Back in the day, we you could buy something like from EB Games or Walmart that kind of displayed all your games, and they actually even had guitar stands for your Guitar Hero controllers, which is hilarious. <laughs> yep, I, that's right. I totally missed that. Oh, right, Mike, I, th- I think it's time that we talk about some GameCube games. What do you think? Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 52 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet, and we're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 257 GameCube games. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. If you would like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are The GameCube is Cool. Every dollar helps us grow the show, but supporters at the $5 or above level get their names read in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic or question to the show. If you are looking for a free way to support the show, you can leave us a five-star rating and share us with your friends and family. And then you can go ahead and follow us on Instagram. We are at The GameCube Pod. Last week, we covered all of the hunting and fishing games on The GameCube. It was a pretty fun episode. We were joined by a friend of the show, Marty, to talk about some... Bass Pro Shop and uh, hunting geese. It was and how t- yeah, how many how many ducks he can he can take down too. And how many ducks he can ca- can take down? The answer, of course, is three. You'll have to find <laughs> out why by going back and listening to the show. This week we are covering the eight puzzle and Bomberman games on the GameCube. Uh, there were not a lot of puzzle games on the GameCube, but uh, we did scrap together the ones that we could find, and we threw in Bomberman there. Even though those games are not necessarily puzzle games, that franchise does have some heavy roots in the puzzle genre. Uh, so we're going to talk about him as well in here. So Mike, let's uh, first of all talk about our history with puzzle games. Do you have much of uh, an experience playing any puzzle games on your consoles or handhelds? Yeah, well, uh, definitely. So I guess my first experiences with puzzle games and probably almost everyone's is playing Tetris or some version of Tetris. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually had this little, oh God, I don't know what you even call it, but it it was like a fake cell phone. It was pretty clunky. It must have been made in like the mid '90s or something. Okay. And you could, you would open it up. You know, you put the antenna up, <laughs> and uh, in it had this little screen, and it had a bunch of these little puzzle games on it that were definitely not licensed, but they were all Tetris-esque kind of games and Brick Breaker-esque games, uh, just in black and white, really small screen. But I would play that. Sometimes if I got bored of my Game Boy or something like that, I don't know why I didn't have Tetris for the Game Boy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that, not sure that that doesn't really make sense there. But yeah, that that's my first memory really of playing puzzle esque uh, games. What did the What did the antenna do? I don't. I I think it turned it on. What? I think that was the power button. Like you get, oh, whoop, so and, I guess and it's it goes like for, on. I guess it's like for a kid. Like you know, you give it to your kid, make them feel like that they have. Because that was the defining factor of a cell phone back in the day. Was if it had an antenna, that meant that's you were right. making. You had to make a phone call. You had to pop that antenna up. I bet I still have that somewhere in my parents' basement. I, I I would I would wager that I definitely do because I I can't imagine myself throwing that out. That was definitely a part of my childhood. <laughs> I would love it if you could find that. I'd like to know who made it too. Like, there's no way it still works. <laughs> no, but I, I like I just I just want to know like who made that. Probably like Tiger Electronics or something. <laughs> something. Uh, but yeah, what about you, Neil? I actually did have the Tetris game on Game Boy that came with my brother got the uh, the regular or the. The original Game Boy, the one that came Mm -hmm. out in 1989, he got the one that came with Tetris, so that was our first game, and I didn't play it until way later, because I wasn't wasn't born yet, but um, I did play Tetris way later on my Game Boy Color, I guess, to death. I love Tetris. Uh, I was actually playing it this weekend to prepare for this episode. I was playing Tetris 99 on the Nintendo Switch. Me too. Yep, it's a very good version of Tetris. There are hundreds of versions of Tetris out there on every single console. Over just... 60, Neil. Over 60 consoles, which makes it the Jeez. Guinness World Record holder for the game on the most amount of consoles. Jeez. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk a ton about Tetris today. I also played a game called Kicks. 
I think that's how you say it. It's QIX on Game Boy. Oh, I yeah. I bought that one for like $5 a few years ago on the Game Boy, and uh, I love it. I don't really, It's very basic. It's kind of like a line game where you're trying to cut off segments of the screen, and then almost like Splatoon, where you're trying to cover the majority of the map with your uh, arrow or your character, or whatever. It was like basically you're a dot on the screen, just carving out sections of the screen, and then there's another dot on the screen also trying to carve out mm-hmm. sections of the screen as well. Uh, and you're trying to avoid obstacles and whatnot. I, it counts as a puzzle game, but that was another one that I played. And then Dr. Mario. I love Dr. Mario. Uh, similar to Tetris, and I don't really know what else to compare it to, but it, it's um classic puzzle game on NES and Game Boy as well. I played that game on Game Boy. I picked that one up from Value Village when I was in college for like $7. It was like an instant wow. easy buy. I was like, oh, <laughs> heck yeah. Dr. Mario is so good. You're basically trying to match up colors of pills falling. Everyone it's like can... Poyo Poyo a little yeah. bit too. That's a good that's a good comparison. Just it, it's basically like the you know the pills that are half blue, half orange or something. You're trying to match up the colors so that you get mm-hmm. four colors in a row, almost like Connect Four to uh, destroy all the viruses that are on screen. <laughs> and, and you uh, can play it on your a mobile phone now too. Mm-hmm. They have the the Dr. Mario app. I'm pretty sure. There is a Dr. Mario app. I actually haven't played that one yet. I did play the Dr. Mario game on the NES. Um, online service. If you have the Switch and the online service, you can play Dr. Mario there. I highly recommend that version as well. I and- always thought Dr. Mario was like a WebMD. <laughs> <laughs> Except, you know, WebMD tells you every every symptom that you put in is, mm. it ends up being death is, ah. is, your, is the outcome. Well, uh, <laughs> Mario got his PhD from uh, Cereal Box or something. Oh, I see. <laughs> I wonder how many people got their Dr. Mario introduction through Smash Bros. That's... That was me for sure. That was yeah. me. Yeah, I, I I knew of Doctor Mario again. I thought he was. I thought it gave you like. I I thought it was like Operation or something. I I honestly had no idea it was like a puzzle game. Uh, my introduction to him was yeah was was through Melee. Uh, never heard of him before, and I also questioned why he was even in the game. Still question yeah. that a little bit, but a little bit. Yeah, more of a skin. More of a skin for Mario would have made a ton yeah. more sense. There was Doctor Mario on NES. Game Boy, I believe there's a Super Nintendo version of it as well. And then there's a late N64 version of Dr. Mario, which is really good as well. All of them are great. But not on the GameCube. Nothing on the GameCube. That's where we stopped. And I don't even think the Game Boy Advance or DS had them or Wii or Wii U or Switch. They're all. It's kind of just a dying or a, it's a, just a lost franchise at this point. Except now it's on phones. So it was kind of I was very surprised when they brought it to phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Nintendo's brought a couple of games that make sense to their phones like uh, there's mario kart mario run there's pokemon obviously and then there was an animal crossing phone game i think or something yeah pocket like camp that. thank you pocket camp as well and then dr mario is definitely the weirdest of the games that they brought to yes <laughs> there's also fire emblem of course mm-hmm. but puzzle video games in general are they go back to basically the beginning of video games the first one that i could find was called flag capture which was on the atari 2600 in 1978 and wow. that was basically like a minesweeper game. Yeah, they really are the like the first kind of the first games for a lot mm-hmm. of people. Yeah. Uh, I I know obviously there were more sim games and things like uh, Pong were were really the original video games, mm-hmm. but uh, but uh, puzzle games are so easy to make because they you know they are just kind of uh, creating a pattern almost uh, right. and and very addicting, very easy to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it's just kind of sad that nowadays, you know, fast forward from 1978, you're looking at, uh, geez, how many years is that now? 43 years later, um, puzzle games are not like a, a console seller anymore, like Tetris was for the Game Boy. If like, if you launch a game with just or if you launch a console with just a puzzle game, um, 
<laughs> Good luck to you. The Switch did launch with Poyo Poyo Tetris, which I think sold fairly well, actually. Very well, actually, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, most puzzles now, puzzles in video games, are more so an element of the game. It's not the only reason to buy the game, which I think this was the generation where uh, video game developers and publishers figured that out, where you can't just make a standalone puzzle game anymore. You have to insert them into games that have a a broad narrative like you see puzzles all the time in zelda i'm thinking resident evil is is the big thing that i kind of uh think of puzzles nowadays is resident evil one which was on the gamecube obviously those are really really good puzzles mm-hmm. yeah resident evil is a very good puzzle game disguised as a survival horror game my yeah. mind uh, for the 20th the best uh, puzzle games of the 21st century go to portal like portal one and yeah. two are amazing games if you're a gamer out there and you haven't played portal one and two you know after you're done listening to this podcast go and play those games they're so good so infinitely playable and then there's also games like professor layton on the ds which are very well known Mm -hmm. and then uh i mean we we make fun of it but mobile games are huge with puzzles like candy crush is probably one of the biggest video games of all time unfortunately but that is just a puzzle game so let's talk about the first game on our list today, which is Tetris Worlds, which was released on June 23rd, 2002. This game was developed by Radical Entertainment, Blue Planet Software, and 3D6 Games. It took a few pub- uh, developers to get the game out. It was published by THQ. It's also on Xbox, Windows, PlayStation 2, and Game Boy Advance. Uh, this game uh, is priced today at around $25, uh, but if you're looking for the Game Boy Advance version, that one's only about $15, and I think that one reviewed the best of all the versions. It rates yeah. about a 5 out of 10 on the GameCube, and uh, this is basically just a normal game of Tetris. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what that means. Uh, however, there are a bunch of different game modes in this game, which make it a little different than the original Game Boy Classic. That's right, and while we're here, Neil, let's just talk about tes- Tetris as a franchise okay sounds good well let's start all the way back at the beginning the reason why we're doing this episode in june because june 1984 was when tetris was born mm-hmm. uh 36 seven years ago <laughs> can't like do that. math 37 years ago mm-hmm. uh tetris was born uh and it was made on the electronica 60 um uh, by alexei pajitnov uh from the soviet union he made this and he was a software engineer as most of uh, most game developers are and uh he was kind of just fooling around and making these um these games and this one really stuck with the the people he was working with at his lab mm-hmm. uh they got really addicted uh so much so that they had to actually ban tetris <laughs> <laughs> at their uh, at the lab because uh, it was just so fun to play and people were stopped people stopped doing their work mm-hmm. um the biggest uh issue for him though was that he just kind of wanted to make this game he, um he didn't really care about licensing it have having people play it or anything like that and uh Uh, eventually uh this american kind of came up to him and saw this game and realized its potential and kind of had a somewhat legal agreement to to get the rights to this game Mm -hmm. and ever since then uh i think 1987 that is ever since then the rights have been kind of all over the place it's been published and developed by many many different people uh and then there was also a crazy legal battle between mirrorsoft which was one of the who kind of had the rights (laughs) and nintendo because basically neil the issue was that um it was consoles versus computers because mm-hmm. consoles were just really starting to come out with the the NES um and Nintendo claimed that they had bought the rights to make Tetris on consoles 
and that included Game Boy Color, NES, other uh, consoles that they would make in the future. Mm-hmm. While Microsoft claimed that those are considered computers, and they had the rights to create Tetris on computer systems. Okay. So this went through a long legal battle. Everyone was fighting each other here, and eventually the judge ruled that Nintendo was right, that the NES is not a computer, it is a gaming system. Mm. And that was a landmark ruling, basically, that has stuck forever. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of changed the way that legal experts define uh, a video game system, that video games are not you know, rooted in computers. They can be... Uh, in other things like a console uh, and kind of gave the definition of that. I guess so. I mean, now 30 to 40 years after this, this legal battle has ended, I mean, consoles are basically computers again at this point. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It'd be funny if this ever gets rerouted again, like unrooted again and Mm -hmm. brought back into courts. I doubt it will. I don't know if anybody has any, if there's any bad blood around this game anymore. I mean, Tetris is, like you said at the beginning of the episode, it's it's one of the highest selling video games of all time. It's on like the most consoles. It's sold millions of copies. It has dozens, if not hundreds of spinoffs. Like I, I love like Hatris, which is a game where you basically stack hats. <laughs> uh, same same puzzle gameplay with falling hats instead of bricks. Oh, there's the, the video game donkey video of him reviewing all the different Tetrises. <laughs> mm, oh, yeah, I think I've seen that. <laughs> you should check that out if you guys have not already. That's a really funny one. <laughs> there's some crazy Tetris ripoffs and spinoffs because, yeah, the rights were so up in the air. There were so many copy, copies of Tetris. There still yes. are. And the Tetris company, which is owned by Pajitnov uh, now, mm-hmm. um, he has all the rights to Tetris and everything, which is nice. But uh, their main thing, all they do is just go after copies yeah. <laughs> and just do season the system them basically that's gotta be exhausting i've only played <laughs> the versions of tetris that i've played i've played nes game boy i've played the ds one i've played pc versions like there's facebook tetris i think i played those in college against friends or against strangers on the internet and then most recently tetris 99 which i think is probably the best way to play tetris in 20 yep. in the 2020s i think that's the ideal way to play it Neil, I said uh i said in 2018 that tetris 99 may just be my game of the year and i wasn't kidding was it really? Because it it's it's I don't know. It, uh, every now and then I play that game again. I'm like, this actually I think is my game of the year, year. I played it this morning, and I was just like, you know, one more game. Okay, one more yeah. game. Yeah. Okay, one more game. And you can play original Tetris in that as well, right? You don't have to play yeah. Tetris 99. Is basically the battle royale of Tetris, where there's 99 people playing Tetris at the same time as you, and you can. Uh, if you do, uh, if you clear rows, you can fire basically rows at other people so that their bricks go higher and higher up. Last man standing wins. How do you know what the highest level you've ever had is, Mike? Have you ever won a game of Tetris? 99? No, I got close today though. I got six. Yeah. Oh wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah I was. It, it gets so fast at the end. <laughs> and speaking of speed too, uh, there's actually a whole study that was done about whether or not a Tetris game could be infinite, which I thought was super interesting because in theory. Uh, a Tetris game really never has to end, right? Uh, it gets faster and faster, obviously, as you go go through it. But at the end of the day, you would think that, you know, you could probably play forever if you're good enough. So they did do tests with computers to see uh, if they could actually finish uh, finish a game or, or it could actually uh, play an infinite game. And they found that that's actually impossible just because of the randomness of the pieces and mm-hmm. uh, how it was created. Because it is all kind of math. Um, okay. math stuff i don't know math <laughs> I'm not, that's not my area of expertise so you can probably look up a, a good video explaining the math behind tetris and how uh the algorithm works but 
in any case, it, it it is not possible to have an infinite game of Tetris. Interesting. I never thought you could, but I mean, I never really got super far in a game of Tetris. I was just thinking about this now. Is Tetris mm-hmm. the perfect video game or the perfect puzzle game? Well, let's start with that. Is it the perfect puzzle game? I think, I think, it, I think, is. It, I think it is. Like... I think it is, uh, and a big part of that is the fact that like the Tetris effect, which is a medical phenomenon, actually exists mm-hmm. because of Tetris. And for those of you who don't know what the Tetris effect is, uh, it's basically if you've been doing something for like a long time uh, or doing something repetitive like Tetris, mm-hmm. uh, you you start having that on like in your brain constantly. So you start looking at. Uh, places or pieces in your life and and, and yeah. looking at those like tetris blocks right well, well we moved you out of your condo a couple months ago and how many times did we make tetris references when we're packing up the truck like it's the same thing where anytime you're trying yeah. to fit things onto a shelf or into a truck or into a space there's always tetris jokes or tetris metaphors made and around the world like it, it's it's almost like i don't know how to describe it but it's it's a it's a pop culture phenomenon and an icon, almost like the Rubik's cube, or exactly like the Rubik's cube. Actually, it's very similar to similar to, colors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same colors. I mean, same idea of a puzzle with colors and squares. Uh, those are two of the best puzzles of all time: Tetris and the Rubik's cube. I agree, but let's talk about a game that wasn't necessarily the best of the Tetris uh, universe, and that's Tetris Worlds, Neil. So mm-hmm. you you obviously mentioned that it was made by THQ or published by THQ, made by a bunch of different developers, uh, Radical Entertainment being one of them. This mm-hmm. game is fine. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very the, fine. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best word I could use for it. Yeah, uh, it's it's you know it's Tetris. Uh, there's a, there's a backstory as you have to have in in these. A, uh, it's a story mode. They basically gave it. Yeah, it's a yeah. little like I said before. Like I think publishers and developers were starting to figure out that they needed to have stories with puzzles. This was not the way to do it. I think most people just bought this to play Tetris on GameCube. <laughs> <laughs> watching people play Tetris has got to be one of the most infuriating things ever. Yeah, just it's hard. Watching gameplay this week um, uh, of Tetris Worlds, uh, I was like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to watch. It's like it's like the Family Guy joke where I, I think yeah. it's like Peter's, uh, he's the straight he's the straight piece, which is the most... Yeah, like, we've all been waiting for you. Come on in. Oh, no. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> he messes it up. Because yeah. That's a great. That's a great family guy. Family guy joke. I'm sorry. There. I'm just gonna slip on in here. I'm like... never gonna live this one down. <laughs> but they did try and reinvent Tetris in this game, which I don't think you ever need to do. But they added Tetris modes. There's the regular Tetris, which is the ideal way to play it. There's also Square Tetris. There's Cascade Tetris, Sticky Tetris, Hotline Tetris, Fusion Tetris, and Popular Tetris, which is on the GBA version only. And again, you I do didn't... the fusion dance when mm. you play fusion Tetris. Well, you activate the atom blocks in this version, so kind of. So spirit bombs. Yes, I guess if you wanted to put it like that. <laughs> exactly. I actually really like video games where there's a Tetris game going on and there's something going on in the in the in the background. Like that. That's in the Tetris DS game where yeah. you're you clear lines and then you attack like a. I think there's robots or Bowser fights or, or it's it's published by Nintendo, so that is a. A DS exclusive game, Tetris DS. I haven't played it in forever, but that's a very good version of Tetris because they added just the right amount of new stuff to it without kind of ruining what Tetris is. Yeah, that's what you have to do to a lot of these games. And I think Tetris understands that pretty well nowadays, at least, um, you know, with their collaborations with Poyo Poyo. I think that is a mm-hmm. fantastic idea because those games are so similar and it's so much fun to play both of them at the same time mm-hmm. uh, rather than, you know, buying a separate copy of each because you're just going to end up playing on your phone or something if you really want to anyways. So yeah. Tetris being 
bundled alone anymore doesn't make sense. Like I said before, like selling a, a puzzle game, a standalone puzzle game for a full price nowadays seems kind of random to me. Like Puyo Puyo Tetris on Switch, that was a launch title. It was a day one game. That was full price, I believe. It was uh, seventy nine ninety nine or yeah, seventy nine ninety nine on Switch when that came out in Canada. Which, in Canada, yes, good, good point. Interesting to pack it with another puzzle game. I think that that's the only way to do it is to keep it in a collection. Or what Tetris World did, which was they uh, they packed it in on Xbox at least with Star Wars Clone Wars. Very similar games. Very. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> what is that? Like that, I saw that once at a Value Village, and I was like, "Is this valuable? Like, what is that? It's not, but it's no. just a random pack in. I, I get that. I think you do need to pack Tetris in with something else, but I think I think Poyo Poyo makes the most sense. I, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much all I have to say about uh, this game, Mike. Do you have anything else you'd like to add before we move on to our next game on the list? No, I think we can talk about Tetris a bit at the end of this show to talk about, you know, where things will go in the future and all that all that jazz, as we always do. But yeah, let's talk about the Bomberman franchise, Neil. Sounds good. There were two Bomberman games on the Nintendo GameCube. The first one was Bomberman Generation, which was released on June 3rd, 2002. This game is developed by Game Arts. It's published by Hudson Soft in Japan, Majesco Entertainment in North America, and Vivendi Universal in the PAL regions. Uh, This is a GameCube exclusive, and it's priced around $60. This game rates an 8 out of 10. And then we also had Bomberman Jetters, which was released on March 10th, 2004. It's developed by Hudson Soft, uh, different than the first game we had here. It's also published by Hudson Soft in Japan and published by Majesco Entertainment in North America. This game is also on PlayStation 2, is priced around $30 today, and rates a 6 out of 10. I love Hudson Soft. Me too. I think they're pretty good. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, we we got a long history with them for sure. Definitely. This game is the most, or this franchise is the most Sega looking franchise I've ever seen, not being a Sega franchise. That's a good way to put Bomberman. Yeah. And so for those of you who don't know what Bomberman is, uh, I actually didn't really know Bomberman. I knew of Bomberman, but I had never Mm -hmm. played Bomberman until I started working uh, right after university. And someone at my work, they kind of tinkered with machines and old consoles and stuff like that and they had that i don't know if you remember the 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 arcade cabinet that was at the at work Neil. i do you guys had like basically a rom in there right where you could play a bunch of games on it that was awesome and so we made it so you could actually play four player games on there too even though the games technically weren't four player sweet so we had a four player bomberman uh which was on the snes i believe the original or one of the original bombermans uh and that was my first introduction to it and i was like oh my god this is actually this is a lot of fun i love this yeah again like tetris a simple kind of just you know very somewhat repetitive but a lot of fun easy to easy to learn uh fun to play and i i loved it ever since i actually have a great bomberman sticker on my laptop that was given to me by Paul, who made the um, made that arcade cabinet. So yeah, I love that sticker. <laughs> he, he loves Bomberman. Bomberman <laughs> is a really great uh, video game character. I really wish that Bomberman appeared a bit more on Nintendo hardware, like in Smash Bros. Really? Or... I want him in Smash. I think that would be a huge win if they could get Bomberman in Smash because we don't have yeah. any Hudson Soft characters. If I'm if I'm correct, but what's interesting is that Bomberman Generations, this GameCube exclusive, was developed by Game Arts, and Game Arts actually helped develop in part. Uh, smash bros brawl on wii oh interesting i did a little bit of research on game arts and their wikipedia page they're credited uh for helping uh do a little bit of development on nintendo's wii title super smash bros brawl so it's too bad that at some point they they couldn't have slipped in 
a Bomberman character. I mean, that would have been yeah. tough to slip in, but I mean, to, to at least work out, you know, we have Pac-Man now and other uh, Bandai Namco characters like that. So it would have been great if Bomberman could get in there somehow. Um, but And speaking of launch titles, Neil, you talked about how on uh, for Tetris 90, or not Tetris, Poyo Poyo Tetris, that was a launch title on the Nintendo Switch. Well, Super Bomberman R was also a launch title. Uh, on the switch in 2017 and then we just got super bomberman r online Mm -hmm. uh, very recently which uh, i played this weekend super bomberman r uh, online was actually first released on september 1st 2020 on stadia which everyone has every every household (laughs) is not complete without a stadia of course but if you don't have if you for some reason don't have stadia you probably own a nintendo switch uh, where you can play super bomberman r online which is another one of these very Tetris 99 influenced battle royale game where uh, you're battling against other people uh, as Bomberman characters, dropping literal bombs on the stage to blow up bricks, to get power-ups. It's a fun little loop. Uh, This one's a little bit more puzzle-heavy than the games on the GameCube, though. Yes, and I know, again, uh, Bomberman is not... uh, Well, these Bombermans aren't really puzzle games. Uh, Mm -hmm. Everyone shut up. Uh, (laughs) We didn't know where to put these. uh, We didn't know where to put these uh, anywhere else. And Bomberman, the original Bomberman, is definitely a puzzle game uh, Mm -hmm. in that sense. And this one still has puzzle elements. But I I realized I didn't actually explain what Bomberman is (laughs) for the gameplay. Uh, So basically, you start on a square square map. A grid. A grid, a grid, and there are a lot of blocks around you, and you have the ability to lay bombs, basically. And mm-hmm. when you lay those bombs, that blows up the blocks around you, and you're trying to get closer and closer to the people who are who you're fighting against, and you're trying to blow them up with your bombs. And now the bomb goes in almost like a, a, a cross shape, you know, it'll go a couple of squares to the left and right, as well as up and down, and mm-hmm. your own bombs can kill you, so you have to watch out for that. So it's a mm-hmm. pretty uh, easy game to pick up and just a just a classic overall yeah the franchise goes back a long way too i didn't realize that bomberman was this old it was originally released in japan on december 20th 1985 so it's as old as mario wow i I did not know that there's actually over 70 different bomberman games a a lot of those are in japan (laughs) uh, on various devices uh, but most of those are on nintendo platforms uh, there's also there's animes and mangas based around Bomberman, so I think that it's a bigger deal in Japan than he is in the States. Yeah. Uh, the most recent game, of course, is Super Bomberman R, which we just talked about, uh, but the series has only sold about 10 million copies across all of those games, so it's not a huge seller. Yeah, I can see that, and I'm yeah. I'm assuming that these two games on the GameCube were not big sellers either. Generation yep. and uh, Jetters, Jetters being the direct sequel to Generation, both uh, with cell shaded graphics which i think yes. does it justice and does a nice job uh but i think barman should be cell shaded he looks yes. good uh, that mm-hmm. way <laughs> he looks he looks very good that way yeah. i mean he, he looks like a yes very young <laughs> they, i mean he, he only has eyes he has no other <laughs> facial features even though both games are cell shaded i gotta say bomberman generations looks better i was watching gameplay of that game today and I was because I was looking at it, thinking like, was this developed by different studios? And it was, so that mm-hmm. might be why. I feel like Generations looks a lot better. I was watching some of the boss fights just because I love watching boss fights, and the Generations boss fights look like a ton of fun. Yeah, agreed. It looks a lot better. the The Jetters one almost looks like a Facebook game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? In terms uh-huh. of the graphics, in terms of the gameplay as well. I think Generations is a pretty decent game that I think. Mm-hmm 
would hold up today if you played it. Uh, obviously, it is more adventure mode in that sense. You know, it's more yeah. of a 3D space. You're not just on your grid blowing up other people. You're kind of using your bombs in this adventure world and throwing them at enemies and placing them in strategic spots. And obviously, sure. there's a lot of puzzle elements for you to solve uh, to keep within that Bomberman universe. But uh, yeah, I think it's a, a, a well-done game overall. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Bomberman Jetters, interesting, interestingly enough, also had a Game Boy Advance compatibility as well, which is funny because Generations was the GameCube exclusive. Jetters had the Game Boy Advance compatibility. Uh, mm-hmm. You could temporarily download 10 mini games from uh, Bomberland 2 to your Game Boy Advance, which hmm. uh, Bomberman t- Bomberland 2 was released uh, in Japan only on July 31st, 2003. So you got sort of like these little mini games from a Japanese only game uh, from Bomberman 2. Uh, on your Game Boy Advance, which is kind of neat, but I don't know why they didn't do anything with the one that was just for the GameCube. That Game Boy Advance cable is going to keep popping up on our show, and it's just, it just gets Every weirder time. and weirder, Mike. It makes me angry. I hate it. I hate it, Neil. They didn't <laughs> use it properly. <laughs> uh, I know. But um, I did want to talk about something in Bomberman Generations. It might be in uh, in Jetters as well. I didn't see it, but you might have seen this, Neil. There's like this Cherubomb battle. Uh, and cherry bombs are these very Pokemon-esque characters, uh, almost yeah. ripped off actually from Pokemon <laughs> in every way. And mm-hmm. you're literally battling. You're, you're, there's a Pokemon battle within this game in the mini games. Uh, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, why? Uh, it's a strange one, I guess. Like Nintendo okayed it because it was a GameCube mm-hmm. exclusive. But uh, yeah, yeah, some of these characters are are just direct ripoffs. Like, there's one that looks identical to Jolteon. That's Interesting. Uh, Pom, Pom Ugar. Pom Ugar. Um, and, uh, yeah, they just didn't care, I guess. <laughs> no, I mean, they're so... F- Pokemon is an interesting franchise that doesn't get ripped off enough, and I'm surprised about that. It seems like every time a, another company tries to make a Pokemon-like game, they never seem to do as well. Pokemon just seems like some lightning in a bottle thing that even though it has been copied a few times, not as much as I thought it would have, nothing yeah. else has ever stuck nearly as much as Pokemon. We talked about Digimon a few weeks ago, which came close. And then there was like that, uh, what was that random one? I was Yo- thinking Yo- that, yeah, what was Watch? that game? Oh, no, Yo-Kai no. Watch. Oh, no, was I was it? thinking the, there was a game we reviewed on uh, on GameCube a while back that, that had a lot of Pokemon elements. And I, for the life of me, I can't remember what it was, but it, it was so unforgettable, clearly. <laughs> yeah. Was it on our RPG episode or? Oh, might have been. It could have mm. been. That seems right. That seems where it would be. Yeah, I guess so. I can't remember now. <laughs> it's a decent game. I would, I would, yeah, I I would play this. Would I pick it up? We'll see. Mm, maybe someday. <laughs> we shall see indeed. Mike, let's move on to our next game on the list today. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Sounds good. We're moving on now to Zoo Cube, which was released on May 5th, 2002. <laughs> This is the developed by Puzzle Kings. I don't think that they're kings of puzzles, but <laughs> they gave themselves the name, not me. It's published by Acclaim Entertainment, Midas, and Interactive Entertainment on the PlayStation 2. This game is also on Game Boy Advance, PS2, and mobile. It uh, is around $20 today. This game rates about a 6 or a 7 out of 10. The point of Zoo Cube is players score points by matching animal heads that fall toward the faces of a rotation, a rotatable cube. The player also needs to make matches quickly so that the heads don't build up too much on the cube, uh, which can cause the player to lose in a similar fashion to Tetris. So this game is kind of like Tetris and a Rubik's Cube put together. Yeah. 
uh, it's an interesting game. It's actually the first puzzle game on the GameCube, so it's got a little bit of history there tied to the GameCube itself, but watching this game is just oh horrifying. <laughs> six out of seven, or six, six or sevens, Neil, that is, mm-hmm. that is gracious. Holy, this Maybe is it's a- fun to play. Maybe it's fun to play, but not I, fun to watch. I don't know, man. This, this looks bad, and mm-hmm. I, uh, there is this YouTuber, Kerr9000, uh, he has one of the best reviews I've ever seen for a game. It was so funny watching it. Okay. I encourage you to look up Kerr9000 Zookube. Uh, he, I, I want to just read a quote that he says to, to start this off. Please. There are games that are just so dull, so <laughs> void, unable to grab anyone's attention, a punishment to be subjected to, not for being bad, but just for being devoid of character. Best described as paralyzingly painful. They're not really broken in any way. They're just incredibly dull and so mediocre that it hurts. I'd actually argue that these games were better if they were playing crap, uh, because at least they would be so bad that they're good. Mm. And this is Zookube. Ouch. That's harsh. <laughs> that is I, that is very harsh. <laughs> I think that the, the handheld version, the Game Boy Advance version, actually reviewed okay. Uh, actually, in 2002, uh, E3, it was awarded uh, one of the best puzzle, or it was awarded the best puzzle game for the Game Boy Advance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, IGN, it definitely is better on, like... You know, I'd, I'd argue that all of these games are better on console or on uh, handheld console, just just because yeah. of the nature of puzzle games and especially yeah. puzzle games like uh, ZooCube that are very singular in their nature. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think puzzle games belong on uh, handheld consoles. It's funny because we talk about Tetris 99 on Switch, but is the Switch a console or a handheld? I don't know, uh, but definitely th- this was just a weird puzzle game, and I feel <laughs> bad because the creator of of the game, uh, who was uh, Nalan Sharma, uh, designed the the, the game. Uh, he's uh, the CEO as well of Puzzle Kings. He came up with the idea in 1996 while working uh, for a consulting group as the principal consultant. So he had like a nice little startup story like any other puzzle maker has. Like they're usually like a businessman or they work mm-hmm. for a random company and they have this idea for a puzzle game and they end up making it like 1996 to 2002. This game was being developed for almost five or six years, which wow. is too bad that it came out in this state. I've yeah. seen this game in uh, retro video game stores before, and the cover, the cover does not explain what the game is. <laughs> no, it's the worst at cover all. I've ever seen. It's like uh, it oh, looks like I... it looks like. I, I honestly thought when I saw the case for the first time, I heard about this game before we started the show. I thought it was like a Zoo Tycoon clone. Yeah, me too. Me too. It, it, because the cover of the case is a monkey holding a or i guess an ape uh orangutan one of those mm-hmm. uh, he's he's holding a signpost uh mm-hmm. that has i think like an animal um or something on on the sign i forget but it, it, it and he's just like out in the road with it. it it's like the weirdest thing i've ever seen it's not an illustration yep. either right it's just no. a picture it's a picture with a, an orangutan on a road sign yeah it's yeah. got this the cube on the sign it's okay, puzzled yeah. and then there's a bunch of animals in the background you got some camels some elephants giraffes etc but I honestly thought it was like a, I mean, I guess it makes sense that it's a puzzle game. It's got the cube on there. It's trying to be like a Rubik's cube. I get it. But just, I mean, we're, we're digging into the cover art a little bit too much. I wanted to bring up something interesting and it's the name of the game. And Mike, if you go back to the Super Nintendo, there are so many games on Super Nintendo that have the word super in it. Sure. You, you go to the N64, there are so many games that have 64 in it. And then on the GameCube, they kind of stopped that here too. This is, might be the only game on the GameCube that, that, kind of kept that Nintendo tradition of having like the title of the console in the title of the game. Neil, I believe this is the only 
yeah gamecube title that has uh cube in it at all which is uh, kind of too bad i would have liked more cube but i guess i guess i could see why it's funny because super still goes is still used constantly by nintendo for for mm-hmm. almost every you know everything mario obviously and uh, there's rumors that the the switch pro is going to be called the the super nintendo switch uh we have super Bomberman. Mm-hmm. uh yeah. so it's super is still very much used but uh yeah no cube no cube love yeah even the wii had how many games started with wii like That's true. Half or, of or even the Wii U had it had, yeah. had Super Mario Bros. U stuff like that. Yep. I don't know why they abandoned it with the GameCube. Uh, ZooCube kept it alive. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> Thank, you, Kings. <laughs> Thank you, ZooCube. Thank you, ZooCube, for your continued service for our favorite console of all time. Uh, unfortunately, that's about all I have to say about ZooCube. If you want to go out there and watch some gameplay, it's not fun to watch. Uh, it's it's so basically dull. a bunch of horrifying animal heads being tied to a cube that's rotating, and the graphics resemble an N64 game. That's correct. But a game that is at least somewhat more interesting, Neil, is our next one on the list. Sure thing. Let's move on to the next couple games that we have here. We're probably going to go through them fairly quickly. Mike, let's talk about Eggmania Extreme Madness, (laughs) which was released on September 12th, 2002. This game is developed by HotGen. It's published by Camco. Uh, It's also on PlayStation 2, Xbox, and the Game Boy Advance, of course. This game is around $20 today and rates about a 7 out of 10. Neil, I'm just going to go ahead right now. I'm going to say Eggmania, Eggstream Madness, Mm -hmm. uh, is probably one of the best titles in terms of the actual title on the GameCube. (laughs) They knew what they they were going into this. (laughs) They knew where they stood. They they knew where they stood. Uh, Funny enough, it actually has a bunch of different titles. We're using the North American title for this podcast but it was also referred to as ego mania in other places and i am sure that they were not allowed to do that in north america because of egos <laughs> how great would it have been though if this was an ego game like oh kind God. of like the darkened darkened sky game that we talked about like a year ago which was a secret skittles game how great would it have been if this was a, a hidden waffles game oh we need more waffles games uh, games came in cereal boxes <laughs> Why didn't games come in Eggo boxes? Can you imagine if they put video games in the <laughs> freezer section of grocery stores? <laughs> How stupid you'd have to be to put a CD-ROM in negative 25-degree freezers and be like, yeah, this will work. Take it out and just breaks immediately. <laughs> that would have been awesome if like some company tried to put video games into a freezer item. But yes, unfortunately, oh, Egg Mania is not uh, an, a waffle-based mm-hmm. game. Uh, it is... Uh, a relatively fun looking game. I love the music. Yeah. The music was very cool, very kind of Donkey Kong 64-esque uh, mm-hmm. uh, style um, and very kind of Sunshine-esque as well, I, I guess you could say. Uh, there's just a, a, a lot of a, a lot of genuine fun I could see myself having playing this game. A lot of color, a lot of life, a lot of unique, uniqueness. Absolutely. I would love to see uh, the Egg Mania franchise live on. Maybe it has in some way, but I think that the Game Boy Advance version, again, a handheld puzzle game, probably a lot better than the GameCube and PS2 version. This game is basically Tetris and Puyo Puyo put together. If you can picture a Tetris board where the blocks are falling, you're playing as these egg characters where you have to catch the blocks and then basically throw them down at at the ground and you make... Make a tower, just like you do in Tetris. Uh, but the, the the twist is that you're t- trying to build a tower to get you up to the hot air balloon at the very top of the stage. So you're actually mm-hmm. trying to get to the top of the stage in, in this version of Tetris, which is a... Or not Tetris, in this version of this puzzle game. Uh, however, there's this rising water level that's coming up. And if you have any holes in your wall, which you, know, you, you naturally develop in Tetris, these holes in the wall because the bricks don't fit quite right, the water that's rising will destroy that level. So you have to keep dropping bricks so that you create basically a perfect row 
uh, all the way to the top of your hot air balloon. So it's an interesting twist on Tetris, actually. I kind of thought of this as like Humpty Dumpty as a, yep. as a puzzle game. Because mm. <laughs> the eggs are trying to, you know, build up, sit on their wall. They're trying to go higher and higher. Um, yeah. Not, not fall down. There are so many companies that could have picked up this game as a license. It would have been awesome. Yeah, right? It's kind of too bad that they didn't because... This, uh, you know, it'll only probably keep you entertained for a couple of hours, but it does look like a, a unique enough puzzle game with a lot of color and, and love that was put in behind it. Uh, yeah. I, you know, it's it's too bad that I've really never heard of this game before or since. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to have this game come back again on Switch. I think all of these puzzle games, we can say this at the end, but I think all of these puzzle games fit on Switch as like a four-player battle royale kind of game uh where where you're playing against your friends this game was criticized for stale gameplay and not being nearly as addictive as tetris or poyo poyo which is unfortunate and the game unfortunately also only supports two-player multiplayer not four which i think a puzzle game on gamecube needed to have four-player multiplayer yeah absolutely yeah all right let's move on to the next puzzle game on our list today which is super bubble pop was released on january 3rd 2003 Again, releasing a game first week of January is <laughs> suicide. Uh, was developed by Zombie Inc. and RuneCraft. This game is published by Jalico. It's also on Xbox, Game Boy Advance, PlayStation, and Windows. This game is around $15 today. And this game rates about a 5 out of 10. Yep, that's probably where I would put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right around that 5 out of 10 range. None of these puzzle games are going to be wildly entertaining on, on the GameCube. This is like the definition of overstimulation. Uh, <laughs> like, oh my god, there's so much stuff going on, and it's yep. so unnecessary. And and so Bubble Pop, as uh, I'd say most of you probably know, uh, is uh, pretty a long-standing game franchise. And I, I didn't realize that Bubble Pop was like an actual franchise. I just assumed that mm. everyone just had license to make these kind of games <laughs> they have over the years. Uh, the idea is you you have these balls and you're trying to line them up. Uh, mm-hmm. Trying to get, it's usually three of these balls at a time to uh, to match up so that they disappear. Mm-hmm. Again, similar to Tetris and Poyo Poyo as well. Uh, actually, very similar to Poyo Poyo. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, we actually reviewed a Bubble Pop game that wasn't a Bubble Pop game earlier this year, Neil, and that was uh, Worms Blast. Right. Yeah, that's right. That that would have actually <laughs> fit into this episode very well, but we yeah. want to keep the franchises together. <laughs> Bubble games or bubble pop games, I guess, if you want to call them that genre of puzzle games, are so hard to stand out because if you've been in an arcade, <laughs> yeah. if you're if you're a kid or an adult our age, you've been to an arcade where there's three or four of these games where the, the bubbles are all being lined up and popped. And if you're just looking at it, it looks like a wild mess. But when you're actually playing it, it's a very fun puzzle mechanic. It is, and very addicting for sure. I mean, Candy Crush itself has kind of taken this as well and, and, you know, amped it up, and that's why it's so addicting because... Mm-hmm like tetris you love just getting rid of these blocks like it's so much fun to Mm -hmm. to kind of have a clean slate and you're always trying to push everything back and i think that's something why eggmania like you said before because you're trying to get up instead of down uh i think that's where it loses its addiction yeah the best thing that i ever heard was a description of the creator of the rubik's cube i read the i think the book is called cubed Okay. I read that book a couple months ago, and the, the best way to describe a good puzzle is that humans have this uh, this natural instinct to want to create order from chaos. That's right. Uh, which is what the Rubik's Cube is. You're, you have this jumbled mess of colors, and you're trying to basically organize it. And some people obviously don't have that. That's why they're messy people. But a lot of people do have that that need to organize things, and that's what that's what good puzzles are. The problem with this game is that, like you said, Mike, it's just a mess of color and lights and, and flashes. <laughs> like it looks like a discotheque. And even when you do solve the puzzle, it, it doesn't have that kind of 
that finish line of like feeling like that you accomplished anything. It just remains chaos. <laughs> yeah. And the interesting thing with this one too, is that it's actually on a 3d plane. Mm-hmm. So you're almost like bowling the, the, the bubbles towards the end of it. Uh, and so you see the lines coming towards you that way, rather than seeing it on a 2d plane, which I think it was a cool idea for the time mm-hmm. uh, for sure. But I, I, I just think puzzle games are meant to be, 2d you really can't do them justice when you make them 3d like this not in a video game no in, in physical space yes 3d puzzle games are a ton sure, of, of fun, course yeah but on a video game i think you're right on a, a screen it just it's easier to comprehend if it's just on a single plane i think i think you're right it, th- yep. this one as a bubble pop game it is hard to understand what's going on just by watching it i think if you watch a regular 2d bubble pop game you get it just by watching I agreed. Yeah, ex- exactly. That's a, that's a problem, unfortunately. Also, the box art for this game is wacky as hell. <laughs> this box art is, it's something. But but <laughs> speaking of something that has even worse box art, Neil, mm. uh, that is our next game here, Bust a Move Three Thousand, as it's known in North America. Sure, Bust a Move Three Thousand was released on February twelfth, two thousand three. It was known as Super Puzzle Bobble in Japan, which is hard to say fast. Uh, it's developed by Taito. It's also published by Taito. It's also on PlayStation Two, Game Boy Advance, and Windows. This game is around sixty dollars today and rates on consoles about a five out of ten, and on Game Boy Advance about an eight out of ten. This once again proves our point that these games are meant to be played on two D screens in handheld form. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. This is another one of these puzzle games where you're firing bubbles at each other to uh, to basically match up colors and destroy them from the screen. Kind of the best way I can do to describe it. You've seen this in a million arcades before, and you'll probably see it once <laughs> it's safe to go back to arcades again. <laughs> I just want to go back to the cover art once again because you know me, Neil. I love to criticize. Sure. Uh, there's I don't get it. <laughs> there's, there's so much. There's all these like characters, these weird characters on the front of it, and when I look at it, I have no idea what this game is. Like, no idea. No idea. No. It could be anything. And, well, and I get that it's not, you know, sexy to have uh, the actual gameplay or anything like that on, you know, a cover. But you could at least show anything that would relate to this game rather than these characters that aren't, you know, it's yeah. a puzzle game. It's not an adventure game. I think that they, at this point, were trying to sell the game based on the name. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Oh, I mean, the, if they're doing that, then they should probably keep their name the same <laughs> instead of having it as Busta, Super Busta Move 2, uh, Super Bust, Super Puzzle Bobble All-Stars, yeah. uh, or uh, Busta Move 3000. Um, Busta Move was its own thing. Like, I think yes. it was its own franchise, its own arcade game. I'm looking at the artwork right now, too. I'm getting, like, mad 90s vibes just by this artwork. <laughs> this looks like Prozac. <laughs> the band Prozac. <laughs> where have I seen? I'm looking at it right now. Where have I seen that green dinosaur before? This is creeping me out now. Yeah, that that is familiar. He's yeah. everywhere. Is it an emoji? I'm trying to think now. This looks like this looks like the emoji movie. Yeah, this looks like some weird acid trip. Just looking, they all look like <laughs> acid. Looking at the characters. Uh, funny enough, it was actually developed by Ubisoft in in places, or sorry, published by Ubisoft in in some other. Uh, places as well uh, which i thought was kind of interesting that ubisoft uh, dipped their their toes into the puzzle <laughs> the lucrative <laughs> puzzle game market <laughs> the the annualized puzzle game market the the bubble the bubble puzzle game genre in that subgenre Same puzzle bubble puzzle like, puzzle bubble puzzle <laughs> the bubble popping <laughs> genre of t- <laughs> of puzzle games is is just like it doesn't appeal to me i don't know what it no. is about it I think it's because it doesn't feel like I'm in control 
as other puzzle games like, like Tetris, dropping, like Tetris, where you feel like you're in complete control, everything falls on a a vertical plane. This one is like the the puzzle, the bubble. <laughs> <laughs> The bubble games are a little bit more of like a diagonal shot usually. Like they're never straight yeah. up. They're always you always have to hit the bubbles on angles and I just feel like I always miss and I hate it. Like I, I know what I wanted yeah. to do, but I never can. You're totally right, because with Tetris, when you make a mistake, it's it's always on you and you know that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I like about Tetris. I, I like a lot I like games in general that uh they put the onus on the player and and to, you know, to it's like if you make a mistake, that's on you. If you do a really great job, then that's that's for you too, right? Like you you own that. Uh, where yeah, stuff like um, those Candy Crush games or or those Bubble Pop games are, uh, you have less control. Mm-hmm. But the movement is just deliberate. With the, even like even the Match Three games, like I've never played. I actually played Candy Crush when I took the train to school on my iPod Touch. And like I always felt like like I never did anything by accident. Like I always felt like every move that I made was my move. Like I it never the game never interfered. The controls were never difficult. That's fair. Like the, yeah. the match three games were always like it was very just very restricted on what you could do, obviously, but there was very little room for error where like the bubble popping games almost reminded me of like Angry Birds, where it kind of felt like <laughs> a crap shot on whether or not the, the thing was gonna land where you want it to go. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. When did we talk about we talked about match three puzzle games like a while oh, back. What was that? <sighs> Crap. Match three puzzle games. Because I remember I actually didn't know what match three puzzle games like. I've ne- I had never heard that term before. We're getting um, to the point now where I can't remember some of the games that we've covered. <laughs> I know. Say, this, this, that means that we've done a good job, Neil. I guess. I mean, we're almost 300 <laughs> games in now, so it's getting to the point where I can't remember what I did a week ago anymore. Uh, that's right. <laughs> All right. The final puzzle game on the GameCube. Again, there were probably more puzzle games out there, but th- those games are more adventure games, and we'll cover them later. Uh, but the final standalone puzzle game we have today is Poyo Pop Fever, which was released on July 20th, 2004. This game is developed by Sonic Team. It's published by Sega. It's also on PlayStation 2, Dreamcast, Xbox, Mac OS, Game Boy Advance, Microsoft Windows, Mac OS X, Pocket PC, PlayStation Portable, Nintendo DS, Arcade, and Xbox 360. This game is about $60 on GameCube and rates a 7 out of 10, making it one of the higher rated games that we're talking about today. There you go. And also, uh, just to go back, uh, we talked about Match 3 puzzle games on the Pikmin episode way back in episode 5. Why did we talk about that then? I don't know. I think we we were just... (laughs) I have no idea. That was a weird episode. I don't know why we would... I think maybe because there were three Pikmin in the original pikmin game and i can't wait for poyo poyo pikmin oh geez uh well that's that's the pikmin 4 pikmin 4 is gonna be poyo poyo (laughs) poyo poyo puzzle pikmin (laughs) now that is uh, yeah the the quad p games obviously Mm -hmm. there are 27 (laughs) poyo poyo games according to wikipedia the first one was released in 1991 the latest one is was released in 2020 uh the game mechanics of this game are much like any other poyo poyo game the player has a 6 by 12 board and they must decide where to place incoming groups of various cover colored blobs or poyo after placing each set of poyo any group of four or more of the same colored adjacent poyo will pop uh, any above will fall down and can form more groups uh, for a chain reaction. It's very difficult to describe puzzle games. Uh, I know. I re- was realizing that as I was saying stuff too. <laughs> I know. It's like I, I, if you play it, it makes sense. Basically, you're matching up colors, and any colors that are left over from that explosion will fall. Uh, if you've played a match three puzzle game, you, you kind of understand that mechanic. But mm-hmm. it is very hard to explain it um, without yeah. having visual guides. Exactly. But yeah, Poyo Poyo is definitely a really uh, fun franchise. 
and uh, it's I'd say it's the second best traditional puzzle game for me. You know, it's fun, it's addictive, it's colorful, it's bright, it's easy to play. It has all the elements of these puzzle games that I really like. Uh, again, I just think that it is best played on, on a handheld, uh, you know, probably on phones as well. Although the Tetris Poyo Poyo game that they put out for the Switch is a really fun option to play both Poyo Poyo and Tetris on a just, console. I just want to look up Poyo Poyo Tetris real quick. I want to know who developed and made it. Like, or who developed and published it. Let me just okay, see. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I have it here. So, okay, so Poyo Poyo Tetris, the Switch game, was developed by the Sonic team, which is the same team that made Poyo Poyo Fever mm-hmm. on GameCube. So that makes sense, because Poyo Poyo was originally developed by a company called Compile, but they went bankrupt in the late 90s, I believe. So Team Sonic actually picked up the franchise and started making the Poyo Poyo games instead. And the one on GameCube here is actually the second game that they made. So... That okay. makes sense. I guess they still have the rights to make Poyo Poyo games. And, I mean, no one owns Tetris, so they just added that in there for free. <laughs> well, I mean, the the, uh, the creator of Tetris owns Tetris. But, yeah, he, they yes, they worked together on that. Yeah. He made sure that they didn't shut it down on the Switch the day <laughs> that the Switch came out. But um, uh, with uh, Poyo Pop Fever, just a, a kind of a fun trivia tidbit here. Uh, it is the last – it was actually made for Dreamcast at first, and it was the last uh, – a Dreamcast exclusive game made by Sega. Wow, that's so. sad. And I actually looked up the Dreamcast version of this game is the only one that uses sprites in place of 3D models. So the Dreamcast version would be really interesting to pick up to compare. Yeah, it is quite different in that sense, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is uh, the last one that they made before the Dreamcast bit the dust. But something that has not bit the dust is Poyo Poyo. So uh, yeah. yeah, what are your thoughts on, on this actual game neil uh this iteration of uh poyo poyo yeah i don't have much to compare it to i know that you said poyo poyo is probably like your second favorite puzzle game for me it's it's down there below uh tetris kicks game uh, and mario dr mario so Mm -hmm. i have almost no experience playing poyo poyo even i think i played the tetris version i might have picked it up from the library or something like that just to give it a try and i mean it didn't really stand out to me i I don't love when you blow stuff up in a puzzle game and then other things fall down. It reminds me a bit of actually a game that I do like is on PSP. It's called Luminous, and it's a similar it's a similar game. It basically combines Poyo Poyo and Tetris very well. Where when you do line up colors and rows together, uh, other colors fall that weren't mm-hmm. included in that, and it makes it a little bit confusing to play. Um, but yeah, I unfortunately don't have a huge affinity to Poyo Poyo as much as you do apparently. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say I have a huge affinity, but... <laughs> you want it in Smash Bros. You want a standalone Poyo Poyo game every year. So there are, in in uh, in Poyo Pot Fever, there there is, like, quite a bit of story and everything that goes on uh, within it, which I thought was was pretty interesting for a game like this. Uh, they, they clearly put a lot of time and effort into developing this game, uh, especially making some of these 3D models and, and really working on the backgrounds. Uh, I do think that it is interesting that Sonic Team was the one who made this this puzzle game, yeah. but I guess at the time this would have been a pretty big deal um, um, mm-hmm. having Poyo uh, Pop Fever as on the GameCube. It looks very very Japanese. <laughs> yes, it, yes, it, it definitely is, but definitely fun, definitely addicting, and um, something to check out. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if I'd pick up, again, the GameCube version. I bet the DS version is actually pretty good. I don't know which one rated the highest. The Dreamcast one would be fun to pick up, too, just to see the difference. 
Um, anything Dreamcast is fun to pick up. Yeah, we're slowly turning into a Dreamcast podcast. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Next week will be uh, uh, will be our new episode on uh, the Dreamcast 2002, which is uh, a alternate history of. <laughs> You're spoiling our next April Fools' episode. Damn it! <laughs> uh, that's a, that's pretty much all I have to say about these puzzle games, Mike. Uh, do you want to move on to our closing thoughts? Um, you, you, it's kinda, ex- it, you sound excited to move on to the. It's <laughs> so hard to talk about puzzle games for for an hour and a half. <laughs> Yeah, it's it is tough. Uh, but yeah, let's let's move on to the, the closing segment here. So uh, okay. Neil, I'll, I'll start off uh, sure. with just where where we see puzzle games going in the future. We've talked about it a lot already because it's inevitable that we talk about it while we're talking about these games. But I do see them going down the route the route of having these Tetris ninety nine esque uh, battle royales because that's where puzzle games shine the most for me. Uh, and not necessarily just puzzle games, but old school games like Tetris and Pac-Man even mm-hmm. uh, with Pac-Man's new Battle Royale. So much fun. Yeah. And I think Tetris really is meant to be played against other people in that sense in Tetris 99. Like, I remember playing Tetris as a kid, always thinking that I was good at it. I think I'm decent at Tetris. But you mm-hmm. don't realize how not good you are <laughs> until <laughs> someone else comes along and just destroys you and like their score and shows how good they are. And I love Tetris 99 for that because I can go against 99 people at mm-hmm. any time, any day and just, you know, practice or, or see just how good people are out there. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's where puzzle games really shine because it makes you want to go back constantly. It's such a great replayability. And because puzzle games themselves, in my mind, They'll always exist for consoles, even though they mm-hmm. do have a unique and fractured history on consoles. Because, uh, you know, the fact is, you can play any of these games that we just talked about. Any versions of these games, you can play them on your phone like that. You can download it today and play it. But somehow, millions of these copies of puzzle games like Tetris Poyo Poyo um, are being sold to console owners every year. Mm-hmm. And so that makes me think that there's still this large market for for uh, puzzle games out there because people do like games that are co- the complete opposite of the GTAs, you know, the complete mm-hmm. opposite of the open worlds, the 120-hour gameplay. People like the mindless 10-minute experiences, which yes. something like Tetris 99 brings you. People like that experience. It's short. It's easy. You don't have to digest a backstory, and there's nothing. There's no, there's no big emotional twists and turns in Tetris, like there is in like a Red Dead there's or not. a Last of Us. But and what you about don't have... if that 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 long piece doesn't make mm-hmm. it in? What's if he does... I want to I want to know what happened to him. It's a good life metaphor. Him. That it, it's a good life <laughs> metaphor that sometimes you just don't always fit in where you're supposed to. You know. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> mm, indeed, but I think I think that puzzle games were. V- traditional puzzle games again we, we said up front that there were puzzle games on gamecube like zelda and resident evil which were more story heavy but they had puzzle elements in them talking about just standalone games like Poyo Poyo and tetris i think that they definitely found their way again with xbox 360 where you you had uh, the online leaderboards now yeah puzzle games in arcades were very popular not just because the games were addictive but also because you could compare scores with other people and you got on the leaderboard famously right. there's the si- there's the Seinfeld episode where George has to save the Frogger <laughs> machine because he has the high score it's the exact same thing with these 99 games with Super Bomberman R online where you're competing against other people to see their high score and even moment to moment gameplay where you're literally affecting their game to be the crown yeah. the best Tetris player of that match and I think that that's a huge part of puzzle games that was lost for a while. Uh, 
I think that the Game Boy got lucky where you could play Tetris by yourself and still have a great time. And you could hand it off to other people too. Like I think that my mom, the only video game that she's ever played is Tetris on Game Boy. While my brother was in the hospital when he was a kid, she played his Game Boy while he was well, she was in the waiting room. And she knows what Tetris is. She loved it. Uh, yeah, of but course. At that time, you know, those, those people playing Tetris might not have had the connection to arcades yet. And that, that's where a lot of these uh, these puzzle games came from. So the competitive yeah. nature of it is definitely keeping the genre alive. But I think it's I think you're right about how it's going to be these these free to play games, uh, competitive games. It's unfortunate. I don't think that you're going to see a a seventy dollar uh, puzzle game come out to raging success anymore. Uh, Poyo Poyo Tetris on Switch was fairly successful, I think, but they definitely do belong in the indie space uh, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, like just a small puzzle game come out for a couple bucks uh it would be a ton of fun like i'd pick up puzzle games all the time if they were five dollars on the switch i think th- and there are those games um so i think that's where it's unfortunately going to stay and then we're also going to get like i love p- puzzle platformers like we've talked about a ton like uh little nightmares is a puzzle yeah. platformer technically or limbo and inside uh th- those types of games are also technically puzzle games uh, I love it when you can There's sneak. The Witness, too. The Witness, exactly, and Portal. Like, just those types of games when you can sneak in good puzzles into a story and it doesn't take you out of it. Sometimes I think Resident Evil has a, a tendency to uh, to take you out of the game a little bit. Like, you're you're, you're trying to survive yes. a zombie horde while you're trying to find a lion head to fit it on top of a, a random <laughs> yeah. statue and a, yeah. and a red key and, and everything. It's just random, some of the puzzles in those games. But those games are still great, um, but sometimes it does take you out of it a little too much. Mike, from these games that we've talked about today, uh, what would you recommend the folks out there pick up? Obviously, a big part of me wants to say none and just go pick up Tetris 99 and Super Bomberman R online because like they're free, they're free and they're great. Or or pick up Tetris uh, Poyo Poyo on the Switch, uh, which is not free, but honestly, is a good investment. Really fun game. Uh, Jed, a friend of the show, Jed and I played that game uh, at his place before the pandemic, and I had a a lot of fun. It's such a great couch co-op game to play. Uh, so would definitely recommend to pick that game up as well. But if I were to have to choose, if you had a gun to my head and I had to choose one of these, <laughs> one of these games, I would honestly probably say Eggmania because nice. it's, it's relatively cheap. How much was it? It was like 20 bucks, Neil, or something yeah, like that? Yeah, right in yeah. that $20 range. Yeah, yeah, relatively cheap. It's, it's a f- great music. It's a fun experience. You will probably get bored after a couple hours, but uh, it's something different, at least, than some of these other games, and uh, they do a pretty good job of keeping you in it. So, yeah, Eggmania would be my pick. A very original game, too. Like, just yeah, Egg- Eggmania. I don't know. It's just a random game that, I mean, most people just overlook that on a game shelf, for sure. So you'd be the one to pick it up and save it from that uh, that video game store. I like that. Yeah, I'd recommend right. picking up uh, Bomberman Generations, uh, just because it is a GameCube exclusive it was developed by a different uh, developer that usually make the Bomberman games, and I think it looks pretty good, uh, even by today's... It looks really good. Yeah, even by today's standards. Like, it looks like a fun adventure game. Probably not that long to beat. I assumed you were going to pick that one, mm. so <laughs> that's why I did Eggmania. Good enough. I mean, my, my choice isn't technically even a puzzle game, so I'm glad that you picked a puzzle game of uh, of the games that we talked about. Well, there's lots about. of puzzle elements in Bomberman sure. Generation, so... For sure. So, Mike, that was a great uh, puzzle episode, but uh, what can the listeners out there expect next week on episode 53 of The GameCube Was Cool? Well, episode 53 is actually going to be a bit of a compilation episode, Neil, uh, about some games that I know you really want to play and some other games that are just 
uh, we call them garage shell games. They just, you know, miraculously appear at a garage shell. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also going to be talking about, um, you know, just finding games at garage shells, our, our experience of, of uh, collecting games. We talked a little bit about that in the Wario episode when Retro Wolf came on mm-hmm. to talk about uh, collecting. And, Neil, it's the 28th anniversary of you and I being friends. <gasps> so we're going to go back and talk about a couple of Neil and Mike memories on this episode. So it's going to be a fun it's one. It's going to be a random episode indeed. Games that I like to play or games that I want to pick up. Uh, games that we've uh, picked up at garage sales, garage sales stories. We have a lot of those since we both grew up in suburban Toronto. Uh, so a lot of garage sale weekends that you and I had. And then you and I being friends for 20 years. That's going to be a pretty special episode actually for a random number. Episode 53. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Sub- uh, I'm sorry, it's episode fifty-three. Now. Nah, it's fine. I don't really care. <laughs> but until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode fifty-two of the GameCube is Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are the GameCube is Cool, and we're on Instagram at the GameCube Pod. Share us with your friends and family. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. 